This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Drilled to center field and deep. Back on it is Eaton. To the track. To the wall. It's gone! Kevin Longoria with a two-run home run to straightaway center. And he gives the Rays a 6-4 lead here in the ninth. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. The 2-2 now. Check swing on the slider. Strike three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our show, and happy Mother's Day. Today in our program, you'll hear from Corey Dickerson on the secrets to his success so far this year. Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times will join us from Fenway Park. We'll have a look at the minors with Charlotte manager Michael Johns, plus Jamie Longoria's view of Mother's Day and much more. Hey, it's never too early to start enjoying summer when you're already in paradise. Join the race Saturday, May 20th, and be one of the first 15,000 fans in attendance to get your hands on a Hawaiian shirt presented by Trade Winds Island Resorts as they host the Yankees. Visit RaceBaseball.com today. You're listening to This Week in Race Baseball. Coming up, Corey Dickerson. What does Mother's Day mean to him? Find out right, right after this on the Rays Baseball Network. We continue on This Week in Race Baseball, and our guest on this Mother's Day is probably the guy who's been the most consistent player in the race lineup this first month and change of the season, and that's Corey Dickerson. Corey, thanks for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Tell me here on Mother's Day, uh, what message would you want to send out to Mom, and what did she mean to you growing up in Mississippi? You know, I'd just like to say Happy Mother's Day to my mom. Uh, you know, I'm blessed to be able to be playing this game. Very fortunate. And, uh, you know, she's made a lot of sacrifices, uh, you know, to this point for me to be here. And, uh, you know, I wish she was here to be able to watch me in person, but I'm sure she's watching on TV. So I wish you a happy Mother's Day and to all the mothers out there. Now, what you grew up, obviously, around the game of baseball. I know you're kind of a, I don't know if I call Jim Rat is the right word for it, but did she drive you to a lot of practices or games or tournaments growing up? Sure. Uh, not only not only baseball, but basketball, football, um, you know, summer events, um, you know, anything you can think of, you know, and my older brother also, so uh, double duty. So she had a lot of responsibility carrying us around and supporting us also. And your wife, Beth Ann, this is her, what, third Mother's Day, uh, or, or second or third since uh, since you had your son, too. So she's done a lot, too, over the last several years. Yeah, she's she's great. Um uh, I'm pretty sure she might. She's here today, and uh, you know, I want to say Happy Mother's Day to her. Also, uh, she does a great job with my son, and uh, just like my mother has with me. And um, you know, I just respect everything they do, and you know how hard the task is being a being a mother, the responsibility, and uh, you know, can't be thankful enough. Especially in the game of baseball, too. Yeah, especially in the game of baseball, where there's so many games, so many days away. Um, you know, I'm away from my son a lot and for my wife to be able to, you know, entertain him, have things for him to do, take care of him, be the mom and dad for a few days, um, is very hard and challenging. And I respect that a lot. How is, how is your son Davis Hayes like you? 
Um, and how is she like your wife? Or how is he like your wife? That's a tough one. Um, you know, I think he's genuine. Uh, he's got a funny personality, uh, just like his mom. Uh, really, you know, very thoughtful. Um, you know, I think he's he kind of got he he can have a little temper like I do. Uh, I think I think that's what my wife says. And uh, but you know, he's got his own little personality, and we love him. Has he uh, has he picked up a ball much late to this point? And and could you see him doing what you do? Yeah, he picks up a ball all the time, uh, talks about the ball field and going to the ball field. But but right now he's more interested in seeing his friends at the ball field and, you know, seeing everybody else. Um, but he loves to pick up anything at the house and play with it, whatever gains his attention for that week or, you know, that day. And we just try to keep him entertained and not push him one way or the other and just let him do what he wants to do. You know, we had Logan Morrison on the show last week, and and he talked a little bit about Eiley and how being, when you're done with the game, it's you know so it doesn't consume you. It's a lot easier to be able to go home to a young one. How much does that help you? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, I was pretty good with that with just uh, Beth Ann, my wife, and uh, ever since I have a kid, it's even more responsibility of you know you come here to perform well to support them, um, but also when you leave the leave the field they give you that comfort they give you uh you know they're always going to be happy or you know if you're upset they're able to you know relate with you and be there for you and you know my son being so young he don't know any better if I do good or bad so when I leave the field I try not to bring uh anything bad home with me I try to you know learn more about him see what he's learned um, and let his light shine and kind of you know feed off that you have done well though this year and you know how much of that goes to comfort level um it's your second year here and you did buy a home so you've kind of gotten used to the area kind of comfortable with your teammates how much does that play a factor yeah it's it's a big factor i think uh i went through some things last year that were pretty tough and uh you know moving organizations coming off injuries um not feeling a hundred percent um you know it's very tough even even when you're doing well um, like I am right now, it's still it's still a difficult game day to day. You can go for four and feel like the world just crush you, and some days you can, you know, go three for four and you feel great. But you know this this game will humble you, so you try to keep an even kill and uh, you know really get to know your teammates because they're here to support you. To uh, you know we feed off one another, so when we do well, we're feeding off each other. If we're doing bad. We know what to say to one another to pick each other up, and I think that's where we're we're headed as a team. We we know each other a lot better. Same with my family; they know they know me. They know how I am after a bad bad game, how I am after a good game, and we can kind of relate. We can uh, make sure we're, we're all on the same page. You, your wife Beth Ann, who you had mentioned, I mean, has played a role in you getting ready for this season with the changes that you made off the field with diet and exercise and things of that nature. Not that you were, I mean, you were in good shape to begin with. How, what types of things did you actually cut out, and how helpful was she in all that? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I wasn't in bad shape at all. It's just in when I had plantar fascia in 2015, I took a whole year off from running and sprinting and uh, keeping up my speed and making sure my body parts were used to that. So whenever that finally went away and last year as the season ended, I really wanted to get back to where I used to be before I got hurt. And um, she knew how motivated I was. I was reading books. I was I was trying to gain some more knowledge about my myself, my body. Um, but the thing about Beth Ann is she's very goal-oriented goal too. And when she, 
want to she wants to do something she goes full force at it and uh you know she wanted to diet she wanted to better herself too so that that really is what helped me probably most is somebody to you know tell her mom not to cook as many desserts or you know certain things like that she's she was there for me she she was wanting to you know also be included in this is there one food that you guys have cut out that you, you miss more than any other, though? I mean, I would assume coming from a southern family, you've got some pretty good cooks in the family. Yeah, I mean, it's just everything in the south, either fried, sweet tea, or anything like that. So it's it's really tough. It's uh, it's not natural to eat really healthy all the time. So uh, I started out before I tried to diet before, and I always go back to what I was normally did. So. What I did this time was, you know, I would allow myself to cheat a few times more during the week in October and then cut it out slowly as the months go. And by December, I was only cheating once or twice a, a month. And that's how I did it. I was able to not cold turkey the diet or whatever you say, but, you know, take it in baby steps. It's only a month and change into the season. Now, how much better do you feel now? let's say that maybe you felt a month or so in the last year, or do you even remember how you felt then? Yeah, I remember how I felt because uh, it was the first time I ever struggled. It was the first time I ever went through a bad season. So it really weighed on me uh, mentally, physically. Um, it just drained me last year. So I just wanted to get back to where I used to be mentally of knowing I will succeed. And, you know, having success in spring training and then having success right now is definitely beneficial going forward because I don't, I'm not having to dig myself out of a hole. I'm not constantly thinking every day I got to get these hits so I can, you know, work back up and help this team. Now I'm at a spot where, you know, I can maintain or, you know, I might go off again. Or if I struggle, I'll be all right. I'll be get back up. But it, when you dig yourself a hole, you kind of feel like you're always pushing or always stressing. A lot of the success goes to the individual, and we're talking again with Corey Dickerson on this week in Rays Baseball. But I think we talked when you were in Colorado, Justin Morneau was very helpful to you. Who here has been very helpful to you, and how so? You know, I think a, a lot of my teammates have been. Um, I think Longoria's been one of those guys. How I look at Morneau is the even killness. Um, he never gets too high, gets too low. You know, he can be struggling and people will be like, you know, is Evan the same? But his numbers are going to be there at the end because he's very consistent. He don't worry about the failures as much. They don't weigh on him because he knows that if he just keeps going at it every day, it'll all turn out all right. But there's a bunch of new acquisitions that we got that uh, young guys that's had a little time, Miller, uh, Rasmus, um, KK, the way the way they play the game, we can learn from each other, and uh, that's what I'm trying to do. Is we're all trying to get to know each other and apply something to our game. Part of that too is routine. Now, last year was really the first time since you were in a, a National League guy that you DH'd, and you're DHing and playing left field now. Have you found a routine that you really are accustomed to? And if so, what is it? What do you do in between at bats during the course of a game? You know, last year is it, more or less. I didn't think of it as like I was playing in a normal game I know it sounds weird but I feel like if you're a player in the National League you, you see yourself in the lineup and you're playing you're playing left field you're or you're playing somewhere in the field and you're going to have however many bats but you're able to contribute in the field also so last year I didn't feel that way I felt like I was pinch hitting every at bat and I was critiquing myself after every single swing or bat at bat so I really put too much stress on every single at bat so this year 
I look at it as, you know, it's a position. I know I'm in the lineup today, and I I look at it as, like, I'm going to contribute today, and I'm a part of this lineup. I'm part of this team. So I look at it a little differently as um, I don't think of it as pinch it at bats. I think of it as, like, I'm, I'm a player today. And that's helped me realize that I don't have to put so much pressure on every single at bat. So really what I do is between innings, you know, I try, not, I try to talk to my teammates, um, get to know them, or talk about the game. It keeps my mind occupied where I'm not thinking about if I got out last of that, what, why did I get out? Did I do this, this, this? It could have been just the pitch that got me out. So I try to not to overanalyze it. And um, if I swing in the cage, it's usually just uh, two or three times to stay loose. But uh, I try to stay focused in the game. And I know my chances and the outfield will be there. I just have to continue to act like I'm in this game and part of this team and try to contribute every time I go out there. And you've done very well in, in both instances. And, again, we're talking with Corey Dickerson. You know, we're in Boston, and David Ortiz was probably one of the better DHs of our generation, along with Edgar Martinez. You were able to get some information from Poppy last year before he retired, yes? Yeah, I, I talked to Sheltie uh, last year, our hitting coach. Uh, poor Chad came on, and I was really, you know, fascinated at how well uh, – Big Poppy DH'd uh, for such a long time. But what people don't really understand is how he adjusts a bat to a bat. He could completely strike out, and then the next at bat, the same pitch, he'll hit a homer. Uh, how he would set up other pitchers, how he would um, look at a pitcher, what he's doing on film, and be able to you know, counter it and be able to put a good swing on it. So what I wanted to know is what does he do? What does he do on a daily basis and between innings? And just like I said, what I'm applying now, he likes to watch the game, watch the pitcher, watch what he's doing, but really stay in tune to the game and to his teammates on the bench and kind of occupy his mind with the game uh, by communicating. And he, that that kind of creates a separation of, like, critiquing yourself or – thinking too much about hitting when all you have to do is when you go up there act like it's a normal event. I also get a sense, and this is in a good way, that you in your career have kind of carried a chip almost and you've used that to your advantage. Do you think of that that way? Because sometimes we've talked about proving people wrong and, and I think it can work to success in a great degree. Sure, I'm a very, I think I'm a, one of my best attributes is being a self-motivator. I'm very self-motivated. I motivate myself all the time. Um, I can get myself really going. I can get myself down also. But um, I know how to motivate myself every off season, every season, every game, really. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I train to be the everyday left fielder. And, you know, if that opportunity is not there and I'm, I'm DHing, then I'm going to – I want to be the best DH in the league. And that's my motivation. But there's always a next level. So you always have to – have that mindset high you got to have a very high mindset of pushing yourself to be that good and that really is what makes me as good as I am is having that higher standard because if I didn't I would just be complacent and I would get passed up so 
that's always my mindset is always getting better, always trying to be the best at whatever opportunity I get. Well, this point in the season, it certainly has paid off. We wish you continued success on the field and off. And thanks for joining us on This Week in Race Baseball. Yeah, thank you and happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Indeed. Corey Dickerson with us. We'll continue right after this. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. Neil Solon's with you today from Chili Fenway Park, where the Rays are wrapping up the first half of the road trip against the Boston Red Sox, weather permitting, of course. Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times now joins us. And, Mark, I guess the first question is, will we or won't we play Game 3 of this series today? Well, Neil, as you know, I try to learn a lot of things from you and, and how to do this show best, but my meteorological skills are not very good. So I, I, here, here's what I'm going to go on. Of all the expert advice we're getting and all the forecasts, they are grilling the sausages on the concession stands here at Fenway Park. So somebody gave them the go-ahead to grill all those sausages. They're obviously planning to sell them. So I think there will be baseball today. All right, we'll see if there is enough to finish this game out. Before the game, though, a lot of news. And it really began yesterday. You had it first that Blake Snell was going down to AAA Durham. What's your take on the whole situation? I know you ran a pretty good analysis of it this morning in the Tampa Bay Times. I I think it was the right move, Neil. I think Blake Snell was at a point where he wasn't going to get any better up here. I mean, this had been the same situation where over and over, it seemed like every start was repeating itself. He was making the same mistakes. He was doing the same things wrong. And and not that this should have or necessarily was part of their decision, but the fact that there wasn't a lot of accountability after each start where he would kind of have the same answers every time with, I know what I need to do, I just need to do it. I think that whole... uh, is probably a pejorative word here, but that whole act was getting old. And I think there were people in that clubhouse, and not just coaches, but including some players, that just, you know, were waiting for something to change here. And in Blake Snell's case, I'm sure it wasn't good news to get. I, I did talk to Alex Cobb. He said he talked to Blake, and, and that Blake actually took it pretty well. But the reality is, this is what's necessary. It's going to be best for Blake Snell, and it's going to be best for the Rays. And it seems like the way the Rays would go now is that Erasmo Ramirez is going to get an opportunity to pitch in the rotation, which he did very well two years ago. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. The drop-off, if it's even a drop-off, is not significant. And, and, you know, I know they have some promising arms at AAA. We've had some Twitter questions. Why not Faria? Why not Honeywell? Uh, things like that. I mean, then you would have a, another transitional period to deal with. This way, they pop Erasmo Ramirez in. Arguably, the five that they're going to run out there now are better with Erasmo Ramirez rather than Blake Snell pitching. Now, the question is, is the bullpen, mm. how much weaker is the bullpen? The net result is the Rays may actually be a weaker team without Blake Snell. It sounds odd to say. It may be true. The next guy they brought up, they're trying to, you know, trying to find somebody for the bullpen here, and they brought up Ryan Stanek today. That's the big, tall guy with the long blonde hair, kind of the look you used to have. And I, I know that you know, that 100-mile-an-hour fastball is, is certainly eye-catching, but it's obviously the ability to mix that with his off-speed pitches. If he can do anywhere close to what he's been doing at Durham, he could be a huge weapon. He's been really, really good at Durham. And you documented it. He is not allowed to walk uh, or uh, in his last eight outings, which is really the key for him. Right. Even more, I mean, the, the zeros in the runs column is impressive, and, and that actually goes back, I think, for 11 outings. But to go eight straight walk, eight straight appearances without a walk for a guy who has had in the past a tendency to get a little bit wild is a very promising sign. I just talked to him a few minutes ago. He had just gotten in. Uh, great move by Chris Westmoreland, the race travel director, actually. The weather in Boston, some of the flights were getting canceled. So they actually flew Stanek into Hartford and had a car drive him in a couple hours to get him here in time. But he's ready to go, and, you know, he, he said, you know, he thinks he did unlock some things with Kyle Snyder, the same pitching coach who worked with Blake Snell. And he didn't have a good spring. He admitted that. Stanek didn't. But he kind of got back to form down there and, and obviously locked in, just simplifying delivery. 
And, and again, with him, fastball command, it sounds oversimplified, but when it's 100 miles an hour, you want it to go, get it to where you want it to go, and you can be really effective. Well, the Rays have seen it go both ways with a guy who throws hard. Look, Jumbo Diaz has been hit, Eddie Romero's been hit, but we see a lot of teams around the league with guys who throw up to 100. Joe Kelly yesterday who aren't getting hit, or at least aren't getting hit that hard consistently, and the Rays need one of those guys in their pen. Exactly, and, and I know the, the velocity is, is kind of sexy to have in the bullpen, but you know the guy has to be able to throw it without putting people on. If he's going to walk guys, it doesn't matter because then he's creating more of a mess for himself. But if you can have a guy who doesn't walk players, doesn't walk hitters, can throw with that velocity, that's a nice mix to have. I mean, if, if this were to work, and that's a big if here, but you know, if they could go into an eighth inning where they could trust Alvarado and Stanek to come out of the bullpen and then go to Colome, that's a pretty good grouping right there at the back end. No doubt. And they are bringing some guys through the system, Ian Gabot, Diego Castillo, who all are, again, upper 90s, and they're starting to harness those arms, which is important going forward because you did a piece today regarding the Major League Baseball draft, and the Rays have some real tough choices to make with three selections in the top 40, including number four. You talked with Rob Metzler about that. I, I did, and, and appreciate you, you seeing that in today's Tampa Bay Times and kind of a, a cool month-out preview it was kind of how I looked at it here. It's a huge decision. This is the highest pick the Rays will have had since taking Tim Beckham number one overall in 08. That was that string of where they had Longoria third, uh, then they had um, – excuse me, then they had David Price yeah. first and then Tim Beckham. So they had the three really high picks, and then they've been in the middle or the bottom since then, a result of their success. So the, the, the benefit of last year's dismal season is the number four pick this year. Talking to the guys at Baseball America, Jim Callis at MLB Pipeline, John Manuel, Baseball America, I mean, they all say that there's, you know, at least four or five really good players to be had. The Rays should be in position to get one. Obviously, they're at the mercy of the three teams ahead of them. But, you know, Rob Metzler, the race scouting director, really interesting, I thought, in the piece today, just talking about, you know, what they've done. I mean, this isn't just watching guys play. There's psychological profiling. There's background checks. There's um, different things that they're looking at as far as on the field, off the field. There's a bunch of different things that they do, and they have a bunch of different people look at these guys. I mean, this is so much more than what you would think of as traditional scouting. And, and yet they're also, he said, trying to not narrow the field yet. You'd think with a month ago, narrow it down to a top five or six or eight. But he said they want to keep that field open, not eliminate anybody. Well, I mean, there's a chance that somebody, they're evaluating their top 40 for sure. I mean, someone who they have at 15 could slip to 31. I mean, who knows? Absolutely. It works the other way, too, in that, you know, Sometimes you see it's not. This isn't uh, as complicated, and it's also not as immediately rewarding as the football draft or the basketball draft. But the teams have a limit they can work with. So there's no guarantee that the three teams that pick ahead of the Rays will necessarily take the three best prospects because they might take somebody at a lower price to give them more money to sign someone later. So the Rays have to be prepared for a number one or number two prospect to slip to them. And they have to be um, better at what they're doing in terms of the draft because, as we know, to be able to fill all their needs, they have to draft well. Right, and we've seen you know a lot of guys that they've taken we can go back to and we will continue to go back to, and I know they're tired of reading it and hearing about it, but that 2011 draft where they had you know, 10 of the first 60 picks, and you know Blake Snell was the guy that we've been referring to as the guy they get the most out of that draft from, and now obviously him being sent back you know, kind of sets that back a little bit further. But, yeah, there's no doubt, you know, the Rays' philosophy is to get the player that they think is going to have the most impact over the length of his major league career, and other teams have a shorter-term philosophy. This. Some teams draft for need. I mean, Andrew Benintendi was drafted just a couple of years ago by the Boston Red Sox, and he's batting fourth in their lineup right now. And, and it was interesting. I know you're going to ask me this because I know you read to the end. And, you know, the Rays, you could say, well, would they be in a position to either take a college hitter or even a college pitcher who could help them right now this year? That's not unheard of. That's not against the rules. You can draft somebody 
they could play for you this year. And, and Rob Metzler made it very clear that, you know, they're not going to stray from their philosophy, and there's nobody, you know, obviously in this draft that they feel that would make that jump immediately. Well, good stuff as usual, both in the Times and on our show. And, uh, well, bear out the weather here, and we'll see what happens next. Yeah, I really pity the guy who would have to host Rain Delay Theater for like five or six hours if his game gets delayed. I don't know who that is. All right, that's Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. We certainly appreciate his time here from Fenway Park. Let's move to the minor league side. And joining us on an off day on this Mother's Day, Michael Johns, manager of the Charlotte Stonecrafts. Michael, thanks very much for being with us. Hey, Neil. Always glad to, to, to do it. And, uh, Enjoy watching your show and listening. And it is a much-needed off day. We had a tough one last night after winning four in a row, but that's baseball, and you know, obviously, we play tomorrow. Let's start though with uh, you've had a lot of rehab guys with all the injuries the Rays have had. How has Matt Duffy looked, and how does it help just have him in your clubhouse with your big with your kids to let them see you know a big leaguer who's working his way back? Well, we have had a lot of rehabs, and some stand out. You know, Matt Duffy is obviously a quality human being first. He's uh, he's really good with our guys, not only in how he goes about his business, um, but how he treats the guys and how he, how he plays the game. He's looked good. He's had some really good at-bats. He's had professional at-bats. That's kind of the first thing you look at is you wonder if his timing's going to be off. But it, he looks really good at the plate. He's moving around better at shortstop. I think he ended up playing five last night, and hopefully he'll play again on Tuesday. Um, but he's great. He's great for me. He helps he actually makes my job a lot easier in just the way he conducts himself and goes about his business. And you've got a couple guys who are there. I would call them AAA rehabs. Jose De Leon, who made a start for you earlier in the week, and Ryan Brett, who's had all kinds of injury issues the last couple of years but is still quite talented. Yeah, Ryan Brett has really played well, and he's, he's been a spark plug at the top of our lineup. And really, we just need to get him some at-bats because basically it's spring training he had a, a, about a year off, maybe a year and a half, and he's looked good. He's actually on his way to Durham today, so I think that's already been announced. He'll be uh, with the Durham Bulls tomorrow, which is where he should be, and I think you're going to see him impacting that team uh, re- really soon. And the biggest thing for him is just staying healthy, like you said, and he has been. He comes in every day. He feels fine. Um, he, he's doing a really nice job, and we're going to miss him. And Jose De Leon? Jose De Leon looked good. You know, he, he looked healthy. His fastball command got better as the game went on. His off-speed stuff is obviously really good. Um, but, again, he came in the next day. He said he had no pain. He felt great. And he'll start again for us pretty soon. I believe he's starting on uh, Tuesday. So I'm not sure how many outings he'll make for us before he moves on to Durham. But, uh, yeah, he looks really good right now. Of the guys who is slated to be in Charlotte with the Stone Crabs, and, again, we're talking with Michael Johns, their manager, on the mound it looks like Genesis Cabrera has been the most impressive. Yeah, Genesis Cabrera obviously has a big fastball, and he's really learning how to pitch right now. Um, kind of, I think he started out pitching around 94-97. We've kind of backed the fastball off a little bit just to try to get him in the strike zone more, and he's done a really nice job. He's, he's really growing as a player and as a person. He's, Doc has done a really good job with him. And just looking at the league leaders here, I believe he's in the, he's in the, uh, he's in the top of most of the categories. Um, he's doing a really nice job. His off-speed stuff's coming along. And he's really, uh, really learning how to pitch with, just, with, with, with the all-speed stuff and mixing in the fastball. Out of the pen, you have some interesting guys, too, including one you got in the Mikey Matsuk trade, which was announced most recently. Drew Smith, hard-throwing kid, kind of adds to the hard-throwing guys the Rays have in the, in the system. What have you thought of him so far? Yeah, he was interesting. You know, we, we kind of bared down on him when he pitched against us. Uh, we we kind of had a feeling that he was a guy that, that, that was one of the guys we may trade for for Mikey. And, uh... Yeah, we were all in on him. I mean, he had big fastball. I think he came in throwing 97-98 against us, and he did a really nice job. 
And then we got him, and he was as advertised, if not better. His first outing was actually against his old team, the Lakeland Tigers, and he was pretty amped up. I mean, he was 98, 99, 100. Uh, it was pretty mm. impressive. And then the last few outings, he's, he's been 94, 96, just a great kid, good competitor. He likes to pitch, and we're going to be careful with him. You know, he's one of those guys that's going to throw an inning or two and then have a couple of days off just to kind of see who he is and how he responds. But, yeah, we like having him at the back end of the bullpen. He's kind of solidified the uh, closer role for us. The position players, though, I think have performed the best, specifically your middle infield. Jake Cronenworth, who repeated after coming to you the second half of last year, and then Brandon Lau, who battled, came back from injury as a college kid, who's really had a great start to the year. Yeah, Jake had one of the best months I've ever seen in April. I, I believe he hit over 400 in April, and his average has come down a little bit, but he's still really controlling at bats and seeing a lot of pitches and doing a lot of things at the top of the lineup that you need. He's playing a really good shortstop. And he's just a quality human being. He's, he, he would, he's going to go down as one of my favorite players ever. He's a smart kid. He's one of those kids that you don't have to tell him anything twice. He figures things out. And he's going to figure out a way to play in the big leagues. I firmly believe that. And I think he can stay at shortstop. He's a really, really good defender. And he's really coming to his own as a hitter. He's driving baseballs. He's taking walks. He's stealing bases. He's doing all the things you want in the middle of the infield. And Brandon Lau, I think the biggest thing that stands out for me is his, his run production. He scores a lot of runs. Obviously, he was really good at bats. We knew he was a good hitter, but I don't think we knew how much power he had. He, I think he leads the team in home runs. He's got three. Two of them were the opposite field with two strikes. He's got a lot of doubles, a lot of triples. Uh, he stole some bases, and he's, his defense is coming along. I think that's the one thing that we – I don't know if we question it, but I think you know his, his, his defense was probably a little bit behind his offense. But he's working hard. He's playing with some energy, and he's doing a really nice job. He's, he's a really big – part of our offense and like you said our offense has done really good I mean I think we're second in the league in hitting right now and it's one through nine our nine hitters are probably as good as most two or three hitters on, on other teams and the guys are doing a nice job they're, they're not striking out they're taking their walks and they're driving baseball so that's that's really why we are where we are one more hitter I wanted to hit on uh, he's a conversion guy who's learning how to catch but everyone tells me how good he is offensively a left-hand batter and Brett Sullivan. Does this kid remind you at all? Maybe not exactly the way he hits, but in terms of production of a Stephen Vogt type? Yeah, he does. I mean, it's a, obviously it's a good comparison, a left-handed bat behind the plate. And, you know, it's obviously offense first right now. He's a really, really good hitter. But he's made some really nice adjustments behind the plate. And if he can catch, he's got a chance to be an impact back at the big league level somewhere. Hopefully he can stay a catcher. I think all indications are that he will. He likes catching. He's got the makeup for it. He understands how important it is to have a relationship with the pitchers and the pitch calling and the blocking. The throwing is getting better. And, you know, Hoover and Herman have done a really nice job with him behind the plate. I got about 30 seconds, Michael. How about uh, Dalton Kelly, who we got from Seattle in a trade? Dalton Kelly, he's awesome. Professional player. He likes to compete. He likes to win. He's a baseball player. He's an old-school baseball player. He plays hard. He plays almost every single day. I believe he's played in every game except one or two. And he's a good defender who I think he started out probably not the way he thought he would. But he's got his average up to, I don't know, maybe 280, 290 now. But he's a guy you can put anywhere in the lineup. I mean, you can hit him first, second, third. You can hit him down the lineup. He's got a little bit of speed. He stole some bases last year. Uh, he's just an all-around really good player. And he's starting to, to pull the ball, too. It really is flop. He was kind of staying in the middle and going the other way. And he's learning how to really get on some balls and ambush some fastballs and drive them. He's been a really, really good, uh, a really good first baseman for us too. Michael, great stuff. Thanks again for coming on on an off day. All right, Neil. Thanks a lot. Good luck to you guys. 
You got it. Michael Johns, manager of the Charlotte Stone Crabs. More on this week in Rays baseball after this on the Rays Baseball Network. Back on this week in Rays baseball, the Rays next travel to Cleveland to meet the Indians. I sat down with operations assistant Jeremy Sowers, who was drafted by and played for Cleveland, about what returning there means to him. You know, I spent a lot of my career there within that organization. It was the only organization I technically played with, uh, you know, as a professional. Um, The irony of it all is that it's probably more of a homecoming going to to Toronto, in fact, because uh, half the coaching staff or uh, or even here in Boston, technically, if we want to get into it with uh, Carl and John Farrell, but... um, you know, there are still some remaining parts in Cleveland there with Chris Antonetti and actually one of my former teammates at Vanderbilt is uh, an assistant GM there now too. So uh, there's plenty of reason to go back there. I have a host family from my um, uh, – it was it was called Winter Development that we did. There was a January program, and I stay in touch with them a lot, so it's fun to go back for that. Uh, and not to mention my dad and, and most of my family still live pretty close. So um, while I come there as an opponent hoping that we beat them, uh, I'm, I'm very proud of what that organization has done over the years, and uh, you know, I had a blast playing for them. What does it mean to you, or what do you enjoy most about what you're doing now, post-playing career? I think the best part about this is simply being back in the game. Um, this was the perspective that I knew as a player, so it's pretty unique to find a role that isn't necessarily coaching, but gets me around the players, gets me in the clubhouse, uh, gets me traveling to a lot of these awesome places. Uh, you know, that I used to do back in the day when I was uh, a, a pitcher. Um, and so that part's nice, but at the same time also being becoming more integrated in the front office with uh, being able to take this kind of unique perspective as a player, bring it up there, and, you know, bounce ideas off of their ideas and honestly just move the conversation forward about how we can find a way to win in this game, um, you know, find new competitive advantages, learn new ways to be creative and discuss things. And, uh you know, overall, just honestly get back in this game and be a part of a team again has been uh, the most certain part of it. Do you enjoy more the being in the clubhouse and want the coaching side eventually in your future, or do you like the front office side and the ability to kind of use your knowledge as a player to help the front office? Honestly, it's, it's a hard question to answer. I, I think there's a lot of value and positive uh, things about being a coach, uh, the one challenge of them, of being a coach, is that you sort of have to be very transportable because you don't know where you're going to be. You move around from every year, especially as you're developing, uh, similar to a player in the minor leagues. That's something I would not want to put my family through. Um, I love the idea of coaching, but ultimately want to find a, an opportunity in the front office where I can, uh, I suppose, tuck in my shirt and wear a belt and, and all that kind of stuff and, and use basically what I've learned down here to bring up there and try to you know, help help the team find new ways to win. One of the ways you do on a daily basis is the replay. What's the hardest part about that? I mean, you've got to really stay locked in for, for all three hours plus of a game. So over the course of the year, we'll probably have 40 or 50 challenges that we make. So that's about one every three games. And I would say we're one of the more aggressive teams even with that. So that would imply that there's a lot of downtime. Uh, that being said, it's a unique perspective to watch the game from all those different angles. You're learning about stuff. You're learning about your opponents, your hitters, what, how things are bouncing one way or another. Um, not to mention there are probably three or four really close plays every game that you're having to make a gut call on. Uh, the hardest part that I would say about it is that you just have this really short window to find something definitive, and there is just a ton of things that are going to cloud your judgment. Um, so you kind of have to trust your instincts. Luckily, 
as a you know a guy that's watched this game enough, you can have instincts of that call didn't look right. He looked a little bit safe. Uh, something didn't add up in that play. So having that radar kind of helps you, I guess, arrive at a decision in a small uh, amount of time. I was going to ask, being a pitcher, does that help? Because you really have to focus so much in every pitch when you're performing. Is it any at all similar to what you've got to do by focusing on the game as you're watching? I don't know if pitcher specific would have as much of an impact as simply of watching, you know, 160 games times, you know, the six, seven years that I play. Just not many eyes are accustomed to the speed of how things happen on this on the field. And that's not me grandstanding that I have some special skill. That's simply a product of watching a lot of baseball. You train your eyes to see this game for what it is. So I think that was the biggest benefactor of all, you know, the, that I know where things are supposed to be, how things are supposed to play out. And um, also it's my opportunity to have an impact and help our club out. So, you know, it provides a level of energy to see things close and, and, and want to have something happen. And the other tasks you do include beyond replay. What types of things do you work on without obviously giving away trade secrets? <laughs> so the probably a bigger replay has actually become a little bit of a secondary task for me. Um, I am now in charge of our advance reports and stuff. So me and a couple interns grind away. Uh, and produce a report for our coaches in front office to utilize for every series. That's Jeremy Sowers, former Indians player, current Rays operation assistant. And since this is Mother's Day, I figured to get a couple of Mother's Day wishes, starting with Daniel Robertson, whose mom Julie was at Tropicana Field last month for Daniel's Major League debut. First off, I just want to wish all the mothers out there uh, happy Mother's Day, um, especially to my mom, Julie Robertson. And, uh, you know, she's my rock. She's my, uh, I can go to her to, for anything. Um, She's always she's always there for me and my brothers and uh, really um, she's she's just a amazing strong person and um, enjoy this day it stays for you so do you have any good stories just as a kid um, um, that kind of exemplifies who your mom is and what she's about in terms of helping you guys out as a group or like carpooling or to, to games or, or fun stuff like that or even throwing you BP um, I mean she's definitely thrown me BP uh, in the backyard whenever my dad wasn't able to uh and that was rare but she did and uh, um I mean I just I just remember all the the countless hours of driving me to practices or uh you know to tournaments on the weekends or you know it, it was always like if she had something to do but but me or one of my brothers you know needed to be somewhere she was always either finding a way to get us there or dropping what she had to do in order to make sure we were taken care of. So uh, she's she's the hardest working, probably the most strongest woman I know, and uh, I just I love her a ton. That's Daniel Robertson, and Steven Souza Jr. says his Mother's Day is important because it's the first as a mom for his wife, Michaela. Man, the women in my life, I've been really blessed with some amazing women, and my wife is just my rock. I mean, baseball is such a mental sport and such a grind and up and down and um, to come home to someone who's just stable every year um, and just encourages you I couldn't ask for more and my mom is really like she's like my mental coach in the back you know I call her and and she just you know reminds me we do this every year you know you're gonna be okay and you know keep don't get too hot on yourself so I'm very thankful for my mom and my wife. In addition to speaking with Daniel Robertson and Steven Souza Jr. about Mother's Day, I also thought it made sense to chat with the wife of a Rays player. And since Evan Longoria is the most tenured Ray, I sat down with Jamie Longoria, a mom of two, about what Mother's Day means to her. Well, it's different now because now I'm a mom. So 
you know, when I was the daughter, um, is different than when you're the actual focus of, of the Mother's Day. Although my kids are two and four, so I still feel like I'm still taking care of them on Mother's Day. But, you know, like once I was a teenager and, you know, a young adult and, and, a, and as an older adult now, um, you know, I think of my mom and I think of like taking care of her. I think of wanting to like get her something nice and try to do something special for her. Um, but now I'm a mom. <laughs> um, and since they're young, I'm still taking care of them on that day. But now I see like what there is to like look forward to once my once my kids are a little bit older, how, you know, you become um, the one that's kind of getting the special treatment later in life. Do you remember anything special doing for that you did for your mom when you were a kid? Or, uh, or oh, well, I know. <laughs> For my mom, my mom always got things like, you know, the macaroni necklaces, those were really special, um, little handmade clay pot items. And, you know, at the time I was like, this is going to you know, wow her. <laughs> She's just going to be like dazzled by this amazing, this amazing gift. You know, and it's so funny because recently she was cleaning out her, you know, going through her closet and kind of doing some spring cleaning. And she came across a box of some things that she had saved from when I was a little girl. So. I guess so, you know those really did make an impact for something that was special to her at the time. You know, looking back, I'm like, oh, you know, you you see it, and you're like, oh, this is. It seemed like so big to me when I was a child, and looking at it now, I'm like, oh, I wish I could have gotten her something more. But you know, she those are the things that she actually ended up saving. So it's nice to see that 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 really was something that you know touched her heart and that was worthy of keeping. And you know, my kids are two and four, so I save pretty much any handprint that comes home, and um, you know, any any gift that they bring me that they make at school, like, you know, sits on my, on my dressers and my bedroom and whatnot. And you know, they make, they make me happy when I look at them. I was going to ask you about that. I mean, has, what kind of things have Nash and Elle brought <laughs> home and, and what are you anticipating for Mother's Day from them? Oh, well, <clears throat> I know that this, my, my children go to preschool um, a couple days a week here locally. And for sure, they're not, the school's not going to forget that it's Mother's Day. Evan is a different story. <laughs> so what the kids might get from Evan um, is probably isn't coming because he's on the road and he will have no idea that it's even Mother's Day unless like someone reminds him. But the school is not going to forget. So I know that we'll come home with, with some, you know, something fun. Like last year, Nash made me a little, sitting in my bedroom, actually a little pot with two little hands that stick out that, um, you know, says like made with love or something and says Nash's name. and. You know, that's I'll get something similar to that this this week um, on Friday when I when I pick them up. I know, but Evan's on a road trip on Sunday, so I have a feeling that you know he, it might come late when he realizes Sunday's Mother's Day on Sunday, <laughs> and then something will arrive on on Monday or Tuesday. <laughs> What's the biggest challenge about that? I mean, being a mom and a baseball mom because it is very different from anything that <clears throat> most people who listen are accustomed to. Well, I mean, for us, it's normal. You know, this is Evan's. 10th season this is my um my seventh season with him like you know in baseball and then you know we have a two-year-old and a four-year-old so I was already used to baseball schedule and baseball life prior to my kids being born and it's kind of like you know they just they just picked up with with our the lifestyle that we already have you know um some people they do kind of had their kids you know um live like on a baseball schedule and whatnot but i do i do try to keep us a little more like on a regular schedule so like my kids do go to school monday wednesdays and fridays to preschool um you know so we don't go to the baseball games on those days and you know we just go tuesdays and thursdays and the weekends when when they don't have school you know and and you know they go to sleep at you know nine on during the week instead of at, at 12 when the game's over so I, I try to have like a balance between baseball life and trying to keep us on 
you know, a, a, a normal everyday type schedule, which um, that might be where the, the, the balance comes in, can get a little bit tricky, but you know, we do it and, and they love it. They, they love having, you know, their time with their, their regular school friends and their activities and then going to the ballpark and seeing their, their ballpark friends and, and the baseball players. Obviously, he goes on the road a lot. So he's gone. You know, he'll leave. He'll leave tomorrow, and he'll be back in eight days. And the kids, they just, they they'll they'll inquire like where he's at. But you know, they're they're not necessarily sad because they're so used to the lifestyle, and they're they're happy when they see him. And in the off season, they get him every single day. So they've just they just kids are kids just adapt to whatever their surroundings are. No doubt. What's the best part for you about motherhood? Oh, I well, my son. <laughs> no, no, I I love I love my children equally. But you know, when I had a boy, I had no idea like the that I would like they oh you know people always say oh mama's boy and daddy's girl and things like that. But yeah, my son definitely he's he's got me right here. And um, and Evan will tell me oh yeah, mommy, we know everyone knows Nash is your boy, <laughs> you know. But um, then I have my gal, L, um, she's my firstborn, so. They're they're different and and I love them both, but in you know in different ways that they're they're each special to me. But there's a lot that goes into there's different joys in motherhood. So you know I get I get a I love doing things like taking my daughter to dance class and I take them for swim lessons. You know and just seeing them accomplish. You know I already know how to swim, so sometimes you take for granted like you know a task that's easy to you is you know very exciting to them. And and so when I see them do these things, learning. I feel joy watching that. I feel pride watching that, especially, you know, when they're like, you know, watch me, watch me. And they, you know, they learn each week and they, they're growing. And, you know, seeing them do that, like I just signed them up for soccer. Um, so they're going to start like a summer league on Friday night starting in June. And they're like, they, they were asking, you know, they were asking us to, to play soccer. And so, you know, getting to like do those kind of things with them or, or watch them enjoy those things is, is something that I really like about motherhood. How are Elle and Nash like you? And how are they like Evan? <laughs> Let's see. So if you ask Evan, <laughs> he will say, although Elle looks just like him, he will say that she is exactly like me personality-wise. Um, and Nash is just like Evan when it comes to his personality. You know, Nash is our laid-back child. You know, he's just, he's so sweet. He, he's soft-spoken. Um, you know, he just goes with the flow. You know, he, he picks his battles, essentially, which is just like Evan. Evan does not let, let things bother him. Um, that he can't control. You know, he's really good at just like letting it go, or you know, just being like, or he'll say, you know, well, you you can't you can't do anything about it. So why do you let it bother you? And naturally, like that, you know, he'll he's happy to take seconds. You know, sissy's hand me downs and things like that. Where L, she looks just like Evan, but she's tenacious. Man, <laughs> it's just, and he'll say she's that she's just like me. Which, as a grown adult, I think these are qualities that are going to serve her very well. But as a four year old and I, ooh, you know. <laughs> Like, it's fighting with myself, basically. She's great because she's also very social. You know, she, she, loves, she, loves, she loves being out. She loves, like, you know, talking with people and things like that, which, you know, I, I'm, I, feel, I consider myself a social person. I like, you know, getting out there and interacting, like, with the community and with my friends and going to the baseball games and things like that. So her, her and I are very much the same personality-wise, and Nash and Evan have the same personality. And for you, obviously, besides being a mom, what are your passions outside? Because, I mean, you have a, a real unique career. I mean, people know that, you know, you were on The Amazing Race. Before that, you were, you were in law enforcement, right? I was, yeah. I, I, I say that I have worn many hats. Um, and, you know, I, I cheered for Miami Dolphins for six years. I did The Amazing Race twice. I was a police officer um, 
Sorry, that, that was my big dog jumping, if anyone wants to know what that noise was. She wants to join the interview. Um, I, I went to FAU and have a, I have a four-year degree in, a, in a criminology, and I once worked for the San Francisco 49ers and just just kind of done a, done a lot of different things. And then, um, you know, once I met Evan and we decided to move in together and have a family, I was actually living in California. So in order to be able to to, to have a family and be with a ball player, you kind of have to make the choice to give up some aspects of, you know, what you're doing personally in order to be able to live this lifestyle because obviously he can't take off of work and take care of the kids so that I can go do things. So, you know, but he's great because in the off season, you know, he's 100% hands-on every single day. So, um, you know, that, that helps me be able to do the things that I do love and the things that I do enjoy when I, when, when I have the extra help. And that's Jamie Longoria. We certainly wish her and all the moms out there listening a very happy Mother's Day, including my wife, Sarah, my mom, Linda, and my sister, Debbie. And thanks to all our guests on the show today, Corey Dickerson, Mark Topkin, Michael Johns, Jeremy Sowers, Daniel Robertson, as well as one Stephen Souza Jr. If you ever have something you'd like to hear on the show, all you have to do is tweet me at Neil Solons. Next week's program will include interviews with one Alex Cobb and much more. For producer Len Martez and my producer on-site Rick Ratzik, I'm Neil Solons. Coming up, the Rays try and win a series in miserable Boston. That's just weather-wise. This is the Rays pregame show coming up on the Rays Baseball Network. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Driven in the air to center field. Kiermaier going back at the wall. Jumps up and makes the catch. If you missed any of the show, catch it on archive at RaysBaseball.com slash radio. Give it in the air to right field and deep, turning a stringer back to the wall. This one is gone. Home run. Brad Miller sends one over the 370 sign at right center field to give the Rays a one nothing lead. Keep it right here. The Rays pregame show is next.